Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What is going on, everyone? It's your boy, Noah Petrie. This is our sixth MMA talk. Now, this is the third episode. I know we're a day late. I want to address that. I want to address that. So, the reason why I'm a day late, here's the thing. So, for most people in the MMA sphere and uh, as far as podcast-wise or journalist-wise, they always release a show on a Monday, right? Because the fight's a Saturday, you know, people go to work on a Monday, it's a good time to listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, those people are generally who have MMA podcasts, who uh, work in a, as an MMA journalist, they're on the older side. They're not, you know, young, a young gun like me. So... They have a family, they can watch the fights on a Saturday night, they can watch on a Sunday, they can record everything and release it on a Monday. Now, when you're 26 years old and you live in New York City, bro, and you're single, it's hard to fucking watch a fight on a Saturday night. I, this is too much shit going on, man. I have too much going on. I gotta live my best life. I have to live my best life. And... Typically, I would watch the fights on Saturday or to try to if I'm available Saturday night. Or I'll watch on the Sunday and I'll watch on the Sunday, re-watch it, watch it twice, and then record that Sunday, then edit that Sunday. Bro, that's that, that, that's like five, six hours of my Sunday. Boom, gone, right there, right for you. So, and, and, and if I'm not available that Sunday, or if I have plans that Sunday, then it fucks everything up. So here's what I'm going to do. One, I am uh, disgusting for <laughs> missing Alan the day I was supposed to do it. So you can shit on me for that. I'm more than welcome to. But what I want to do going forward is I want to start releasing my podcast on a Tuesday, Tuesday mornings. Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. I'm going to start releasing them. That's going to be the schedule. Tuesday morning, 9 a.m. This is not changing. This is the only time this podcast will be released for the entirety of this podcast going forward. It will be Tuesday, 9 a.m. That's when this podcast will be dropping. Actually, pause. I take that back. I'm going to do Tuesdays, you know, 7 a.m. Because when you're on your drive to work, you can listen to me there or something along those lines. I'll just have it set up to release on that time. So Tuesday, 7, 7 a.m., look, I'm already going back my word, I'm a piece of shit, but Tuesday, 7 a.m., that's when the podcast will be dropping, going forward, period. That's how it's going down, that's how we're rolling like that. One, I think it's unique that my podcast is going to be dropping on Tuesday, because everyone else in the MMA sphere drops theirs on a Monday, so it'll be easier to remember mine if you're listening to a bunch of other MMA podcasts, because mine's the only one that's going to be dropping on Tuesday. On the top of that, the other thing that I want to do that's, very, that's going to be very unique to my podcast is I'm going to be going in order of the fights that happen as far as how the, the MMA promotion has it scheduled out. So it would be from the start of the main card or prelim fight going forward until I reach the main event. 
Usually, it's the other way around for everyone else in the MMA sphere. They go from the main event downwards. I just find it easier because as I'm watching, I'm taking notes, I'm analyzing, and it's just easier to go in that format than to go do everything in reverse. And it just sets me apart from everything else. And I feel like, you know, we're talking about the fights as it's happening, in the order that it's happening. Obviously, I'm not going to go over everything in the main card. Um, just stuff that I deem noteworthy or that we should be going over or I find interesting. Um, can't go over everything because we'll be here all day. But I just find that order to be more appealing to me and it sets me apart from the others. So I'm doing two things that are going to set me apart from the other. One, dropping the MMA podcast on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. I repeat, 7 a.m. And we're going to be going in the order of of how the MMA promotion has the fights. But since we went over that, we did have a Bellator event this weekend and we did have a UFC event this weekend. I'm going to be going over the UFC events first and the Bellator events after. And in these instances where there's two main events, Bellator, UFC, etc., it's going to be the same format, same order. So that doesn't change. Um, but I'm going to be going over USC events first. First, I want to go over Camacho versus Torres. Now, this fight was good as long as it lasted. Both men were swinging for defenses. Torres throwing more volume. Camacho did a fairly good job covering up. Torres was able to sneak around some of those punches inside, but Torres did a fairly good job blocking most of it and covering up. He did have a defense issue problem coming to the fight, so it's clear that he did work on that and good for him. Now, even though that he was still covering up, he got rocked with an uppercut. And listen, you have to do more than just cover up. Granted, again, his defense did improve from the last fight, but he didn't slip with any of the punches. There's not a lot of slipping in MMA general, so I'm not going to put it past him, but he didn't roll with any of the punches too. You can't just cover up. If someone is throwing shots at you, you can't just cover up. You can't sit there, become stagnant like a statue, and just weather the storm. That's not going to happen. There's going to be a few that slips by. What you have to do is you have to slip. You have to turn away from the punches while you're still covering up. So even if they do land, they're not landing that hard. Because when you cover up and you're still getting hit with punches, you're still feeling the force and the thump of those punches. Granted, it's not really sneaking through, so it's not causing as much damage as possible. But it's still causing some damage. As when you're slipping with punches too, it's going to cause less and less damage. He didn't do that. He just covered up. Eventually, he got hit with an uppercut. And then he got put down. So I guess that's the next evolution in his defense is him learning how to slip or him learning how to roll roll with the punches. Sorry. Everything I was talking about before as far as slipping, I meant to say rolling. There was a... Yeah, I, I fucked up there. But... I meant to say rolling with the punches. When you're rolling with the punches, it you know it stops the full force of the, the blunt force trauma coming at you than just staying stagnant and just trying to cover up. When you're rolling with them, they're kind of you know slipping by, they're hitting you, but not as hard, they're they're grazing you, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's the next evolution in his defense, I'm assuming. But then again, his chin just got exposed, so we'll see what happens after that. Now I want to go over I want to go over Reboss against Caitlin Jukagan. Now 
this is a, a really weird observation that I've made, but for some reason, that head and arm takedown is the preferred takedown for women's MMA. And I don't know why. I have no clue as to why that's the preferred takedown to women's MMA. It seems to be the go-to takedown, not just in basically every division for women's MMA. That and, and the, you see the double leg a lot. Now, I made this observation because you don't see that a lot in men's MMA. That kind of judo throw takedown is not something that you see often. I'm guessing it's just the remnants of Ronda. Because when Ronda was fighting in MMA, that was her go-to takedown, that head and arm judo throw. Um, as with the progression of women's MMA keeps happening and, you know, it, it's, we start to get more quality. Not saying it's not quality now, it is quality. But as we start to get more quality into women's MMA, because it's still fairly new um, in development as comparison to men MMA, you was, I'm, I'm, you will start to see less and less in that. But I brought that up because Reboss was able to utilize that in the first round. She was able to take Caitlyn Jukagian down. I think that should have been her game plan going forward. I thought if she was going to stand with Caitlyn Jukagian, she was going to lit. She was going to get lit up on the feet, which at times she definitely was. Granted, I have respect for Reboss for trying to dictate the pace of the fight and putting that pressure on Kagan, got Caitlyn Jukagian, even though she was getting hit with some shots. Now, Rebots really needs to work on her defense. She really, really, really needs to work on her defense. She's an incredibly tough fighter, but she gets hit a lot, bro. She gets hit a lot. And granted, if you get hit with Caitlyn Jukagan, she's more of a volume fire. She's probably not going to put you away. But if you get hit with some of these bigger people in this division, and she just went up a weight class... The bigger punches in the division is not going to end well for her. So she needs to start working on her defense ASAP. Another thing she needs to work on, she needs to stop doing spinny shit. I I have a love-hate relationship when it comes to spinny shit. When I say spinny shit, I'm, I'm referring to spinning back fist, um, uh, spinning back fist, spinning kicks to the body, spinning head kicks like Edson Barbosa, 360 kicks. I'm talking roundhouse. That's what I'm talking about when I say spinny shit. Now, if you're Edson Barbosa, if you're a Stephen Wonderboy Thompson or a Rafael Fazayev, they specialize in those kind of attacks. So whenever they throw it, it always lands and it's always crisp and clean. Most people don't specialize in that attack. They just start training it a little bit and try to start utilizing it. And when they do that, bro, it can spell disaster. Because if you miss that attack, you're wide open. You can get tagged fairly easily. And every time Reboss was throwing an attack like that, she was getting, she was being left wide open and was getting hit. So I would tell her to, to stop, to stay away from the, from the spitty shit for now or forever, to be honest with you. But as far as the scoring of the fight, it was extremely close. This fight was extremely, extremely, extremely close. It was probably the best fight on the card, to be honest with you. It's the one I enjoyed the most. But honestly, I had it for Reboss. I had to fight for Reboss. I thought Reboss won round one and round two. I think she clearly won round two. I think she won round one and she won round two due to ground control. Now, the issue now, as far as round three, round three gets kind of tricky because 
Caitlin was winning that round in the beginning. Then Rebos was able to, to score a takedown towards the end of the round. Granted, she didn't have that much control time. But she was able to score a takedown towards the end of the round. And started to run away with the end of the round, too. She was landing some of the bigger strikes towards the end. So I guess you can give it for Rebos, too. But I gave Caitlin the last round. But, dude, I just thought Reboss won. Honestly, I'm not mad that Reboss won because I predicted Caitlyn to win. So, either way, I'm right. So, I'm furthering my, my selfish streak, if you will. But, I want a Reboss to win this fight because I didn't... I forgot and it didn't occur to me until after watching the fight that, bro, that division is stagnant. That division is extremely stagnant. There's not much going in that division right now. There's not much at all. It's, it, you know, Valentina Shevchenko ran through the division. She went through most of the content, the noteworthy contenders of the division. So if Reboss were to win, she would have beat the number one in that division. She was definitely going to get a title shot after. It would have been a fresh breath into a very stagnant and, frankly, boring division. But since Caitlyn win, I guess you have to give her the towel shot after this. But we seen what Caitlyn, we seen Caitlyn Shevchenko, and it wasn't competitive at all. Caitlyn Chikagian with that fight, it just wasn't competitive. Shevchenko dominated as Shevchenko usually does. Granted, I think the second time around would be more competitive, but I still think she's not going to be able to beat Shevchenko. I think no one at the division right now is able to beat Shevchenko. I would have. I don't think Reboss is able to be here either. Definitely not. But I would have liked to see something new, something fresh. At least her to get a title shot. I don't know. I just think if you're if you're fighting at one, if you're a woman fighting at one fifteen, I think right now if you're as far as that division goes, if you're behind the eight ball and you just can't get over the hump of those upper echelon competitors at one fifteen, bro, go up to one twenty five. Go up to one twenty five. There's not much of a division there. Try your luck with some of the ladies in there. And try to... It's the easiest path for a title shot. If you're fighting at 115 and you can't get the belt at 115, go to 125. At least you can get the title shot. It's Again, I saw, if you had to... If you're a woman, right? And you're fighting Rose or Shevchenko. I think Shevchenko is by far... I mean, granted, Rose is not the, the champion anymore. Excuse me. Um, you're fighting Esparza or you're fighting Shevchenko. Shevchenko is by far going to be more challenging than fighting Esparza. I'm sorry. I said it. It is what it is. As far as overall well-rounded goes, Shevchenko is a by far hand over fist better fighter than Esparza is. It is what it is. Not saying that if they fought, Shevchenko would win. I'm saying overall talent-wise and as a well-rounded fighter, I give it to Shevchenko. I think she's the best woman's fighter there is right now, period. And a lot of people will argue against me. But if you're, of course, it's going to be a harder challenge, but you're able to get the towel shot quicker. So if I'm a woman fighting at 115, fuck it. I'm going to jump weight at 125, fight some of the top contenders there, and get a towel shot more quickly. It'll be a tough road to get the belt, you know, because you got to get through Shevchenko, but at least you're getting a towel shot quicker than staying at 115 and in that 115 it's it as far as title shots wise is going to be bouncing around between zhang between rose between yoana as far as uh, i feel like those four are just constantly going to be clashing going at it for a little bit until someone breaks that barrier maria mariano rodriguez can do that but that was the 
Reboss and the Caitlyn Jukagan fight. Now I want to get into Span and Kutalaba. Now, from what I saw from Kutalaba, I liked at first. He is very confident in his knockout power. He got tested early in the fight. He was able to get a takedown. He did a beautiful leg sweep. Now, Span was able to get up and not be controlled position-wise for the most part by Kutalaba. But every time Span was able to get up, Kutalaba was able to take him back down to the ground again. Now, here's where Kutalaba fucked up. He swung really wild with a really wide and wild right hook. He basically fell over, which is just something I've been seeing often. I've been seeing this more often than ever before. I don't know what the fuck this is. Maybe it's the the the, the what we use for the ring that's a little bit more slippery. Um, we should check into that. But I've been seeing it more often, man. Usually that was a rare occurrence, but I'm seeing this more often than we should be. It's not a good look. But he swung recklessly. He fell over, and that's what Span was able to utilize get that neck and get the choke. The fact that Span is able to get that choke so often, I forgot the name of the choke, but the fact that he's able to get it so often, dude, it's crazy. Because it's not an easy choke to get. You got to, it's basically a guillotine, but you're not wrapping it under your armpit. You're kind of leveraging your arm right under the chin and just using your other arm to to crank it and apply as much pressure as possible. It's not an easy choke to get, but he's able to get it so quickly. He's just like, God, I forgot the dude's name, who constantly gets the... the, there's actually two fires that come into mind right now. You have St. Prue who constantly gets the Devon the Von Flu choke. St. Prue is constantly getting the Von Flu choke. And then you have, God, the dude in heavyweight. I'm blanking out on his name right now. It's going to pop to me later. But he's but he keeps getting the Ezekiel choke. I'm, how am I blanking out on his name? But it's just, you know, some fires just have that that special ability or, you know, their their special move, if you will, not to reference anything WWE or pro wrestling wise. And that seems to be Span's quote unquote special move. So it was a rookie mistake by Kutalaba. Span was able to get that sink in that choke very quickly, get the tap, and I'm happy to see him in the win column again. I don't think this fight should have been the co-main event. The co-main event should have definitely been Reboss and Kenneth Kagan. But now I'm going to get into Rackage and John. Now, this fight was such an unfortunate ending. Rackage was winning the fight up until he blew out his knee. I had Rackage winning the first round. I had him win the first round. It was a close first round, but I think Rackage did the more, the more damage. He obviously won the second round. He was able to take Jan down and have him end the set in the octagon completely centered, not able to do anything. He was able to utilize some ground and pound. He almost got caught in the triangle at first, but he got out right away. And then the beginning of the third round, he blew out his knee. Now, this doesn't go without criticism. Now, Rakish was not, he was getting hit with leg kicks back and forth. He was constantly getting hit with leg kicks. He wasn't checking any of them. Which, honestly, this was very surprising to me because he was a former Australian kickboxing champion, I believe. So he knows the, the, the effects of a leg kick, and he wasn't checking any of them. That lead leg was getting tore up a lot, a lot. But here's the thing. He was clearly winning the fight up until the knee got blown out. Granted, it was the third round. He never been past the third round. It's a five-round fight. Jan's a veteran. He's been in multiple five-round fights. 
it was going to be interesting to see if Jan could turn his boat around. It was it was close back and forth in that third round, but Rakic blew out the knee. When UFC was constantly rewinding it to show it being blown out, man, that was fucking disgusting. But he's going to be out for at least a year. He's going to be out for at least a year. He has to be out for at least a year. I, I, I tried to look to see what was the injury. I went on basically every major MMA news outlet to see if I can see what exactly got blown out in the knee. It, I, it has to be something ligament-wise. I don't think it was a bone break at all. I didn't see anything, unfortunately. But uh, I, I, I sh- maybe I wasn't looking hard enough. It should be popping up sometime later on this week on what exactly the injury is. I'll probably be go, going over that next week. But I know timeline-wise from looking at the injury is at least a year. And on top of that, we got to see if he's going to be as you know perform as good as he did before the injury. Because when it comes to knee injuries, man, it can be tricky. That can fuck you up career-wise. When it comes to knee injuries, not just for MMA, for any sport in general, bro, it's... A lot of times, it's a career-ending injury. Like, look at Thiago Santos. He's never been the same after his two knee, his two knee injuries. So, I want to see how he's going to perform afterwards, but it's at least going to be a year. Um, as far as what's next, now, Brockowitz... Glover did say if Lockwoods won the fight, he would get him another. He would give him another title shot. Granted, it's not up to Glover, and Glover still has to go through Prochaska. Um, so here's the thing: you can't really, at least for me, for my standards, you can't give Jan a title shot after a victory like that because you were losing the fight up until the dude's knee got blown out. It's an unfortunate accident. You didn't technically really win the fight. Now, if he was. If he was dominating the fight and then the knee got blown out, I guess that's a little different. But, bro, you were clearly losing the fight and the knee got blown out. It's not a real victory. No one was really counting it as a real victory. So I can't give you a title shot off of that. I know the UFC is definitely not going to give you a title shot off of that. So I was looking over the light heavyweight division. And I wanted to see if there's what matchmaking makes sense. The only one I saw that truly makes sense is Uncle Ayev. But I think Uncle Live is scheduled for a fight already. I think he's already scheduled for a fight. I forgot against who. I could be wrong. If he's not scheduled for the fight, that's the fight to make, and we should make it sooner than later. But if if he is scheduled for a fight, then no one else in the division really makes sense. I guess you can wait around to see if Jamal Hill wins his next fight and give him Yan. That's a terrible fight for Jamal. But no one else in the division really makes sense. I think I guess you can give Paul Craig, but I think Paul Craig has a fight coming up too. It doesn't. I think he's fighting. Isn't he fighting Anthony Smith? Someone's fighting Anthony Smith soon. So you can't even give Anthony Smith. So it just division wise, everyone else is booked up. The only fight that makes sense, I think, is booked up. Jan's probably gonna have to wait a little bit, and it sucks as he was, you know. Looking forward to the fight, and he wants to get there, get out there as soon as possible. That's what he said, but it, I, I don't see a, a clear fight in that division as of right now. Now, I want to go over the Bellator fights. The first one I want to go over is Tranner against, I think the guy's name was Bianchik, some, something along those lines. Now, this fight, it... It's a plain fight. It's a fight that no one is going to remember. But I only want to go over it for one reason, right? It's the kind of shit on Bellator. 
So this fight symbolizes why it kills me sometimes to watch Bellator. And one of the main issues with Bellator is overall quality of fighters. Now, not to say Bellator doesn't have quality. Bellator has quality fighters. They have former UFC fighters. They have homegrown talent who can compete in any organization in the world. But those are the few and far between. For most of Bellator's roster is not that great, and this fight kind of symbolized it. When Biancic was able to get Trainer to the ground, rocked him with a punch, and was able to get Mount, Biancic, he was just throwing wild, reckless, nasty hammer fist. It just looked disgusting. It looked like it was a schoolyard fight. It was. It was. It, it didn't look good. It wasn't a good representation of the sport, to be honest with you. Even Big John McCarthy, the commentator, was saying, "Man, pick your shots." I was screaming at the TV for the dude to pick his shots. He's wasting this position. He was able to rock his opponent, get mount, and you're throwing reckless, stupid shots. It it just wasn't a good look. And of course, his opponent's able to reverse it soon after. Dude, it. It, it just symbolized why it kind of pains me to watch Bellator at times. Not only that, I'm going to keep it real for you. The Showtime app is kind of garbage. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to lie to you. The Showtime app at times, it just doesn't, the layout doesn't look right. The shit that's on it, it's not that great. Uh, when you look at, when you play something, the fast forward, the rewind, all that stuff just looks rudimentary. I I don't like Showtime app. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm not sponsored by Showtime. No affiliation with Showtime. I'm just shitting on them. But it's they, they need to work on that, to be honest with you. Now I want to go over Daly against Glaucoma. And Paul Daly just put on a Paul Daly performance, which is Paul's losing every minute of the fight until he wasn't. I feel like that's been the story of his career, his last couple of fights. They do will be losing every single minute of the fight, but his knockout power just pulls through in the last second. So Paul Daly was being controlled for round one and for most of round two. We all know Paul Daly's weakness is grappling. It's something that's been known for fucking forever now, ever since really Koscheck exposed it. And that's the reason why Paul Daly got banned from the UFC um, for hitting Koscheck after the bell. That shit was still crazy to watch live. Um, but that's his weakness. His weakness is grappling. If you can expose him in grappling, that's the clearest way to win the fight. That's what Oklahoma was doing up until... Daly was able to reverse position, land some some big nasty hooks, put him away with the right hand. Now, Paul Daly has been talking about retiring for the last couple fights. He's always been talking about it. Um, he just never seems to be able to pull the trigger. Now, here's the thing. Paul Daly has been fighting for an extremely long time. An extremely, extremely long time. Very long time. Most of the people who are fighting in Paul Daly's prime are not around anymore. Straight up. But Paul, I think he just he just had his 45th fight. I think he just had his 45th fight. Or his 45th win. I think this was his 45th win. Not just his 40, So he had multiple other, He had probably like 60 fights. But 45 wins. Bro, that's a lot of fight. That's a lot of damage. That's a lot of wear and tear. So for most of the time, I would say for that fire to retire. Now, the reason why I'm not saying for him to retire is because... All right, so for most, because Paul Daly, he's still he's fighting fighters who aren't of his level of competition. I'm be honest with you, they're just straight up not in his level of competition, and he's still winning. He's still putting these fights together. Granted, in a lot of these fights, he's losing up until he's not, but he's putting together a little win streak. 
So if you're fighting a bunch of people that have no business fighting you and you're winning, bro, just keep cashing the checks. Keep cashing the checks. Keep, you know, fighting people who, you know, talent-wise probably is not on your level even in your later stages of your career. Keep winning. And once you finally lose, which the time is eventually going to come, then that's when you retire. But don't stop cashing these checks when you're fighting people who you know you have a very good possibility of beating. I would say, you know, keep on continuing. Now I'm going to be going over the Watanabe fight. Uh, Watanabe against Keyholes. First off, the ref, I love seeing good refing. That thing, seeing good refing in MMA makes me hard, straight up. Seeing good judging and seeing good refing gives me as hard as a fucking rock. And we seen, I forgot, I wish I remembered the ref's name. He did such a fucking good job of what he did. But the ref, such good refing. I want to give him a quick shout out before we get into the fight. Keyholz threw an illegal kick to a downed opponent when they were both down in the 50-50 position. Now he stood him back up. He gave Keyholz the point deduction, which rightfully shows an illegal strike. Now, some referees would have restarted him in that 50-50 position. The thing is, with a 50-50 position like that, it's kind of tricky in how to restart them. So he just decided to, to start him standing up and see where it goes from there, which I didn't think that was... Uh, a dumb move. I think it was pretty smart on his behalf. But I want to get into the fight first. So, Watanabe, right? Everyone counted her out. MMA media outlets that were talking about LMA, Bellator event, they all counted Watanabe out in this fight. They all said she was going to get pieced up by Keyholtz and it, it just wasn't going to go away and it was going to be a dominant victory by Keyholtz. But, dude, Watanabe pulled together as the underdog. She, at first, was getting pieced up. She was getting pieced up. She was most definitely getting pieced up in the beginning. She was almost got put away in, the, in that first round. Granted, she was able to reverse it. She was able to get a hold on her opponent, take her opponent down. She got key holds, not in a rear naked choke, but I forgot what that specific choke is called. But she got her where the chin is under the... Uh, is a rear naked, basically, but the chin is under it and not you know having the forearm and the arm under the uh the neck so it's not a choke that strangles you it's more of a of, of a blood choke and it's more to inflict pain um keyholz is in the bad position granted she wasn't able to get the finish there but the second round she took down her opponent she got hit with an illegal kick to the face then, as soon as the, the, the round started again, took down Keyholds and was able to submit her with a triangle. So, shout out for her for, you know, coming back at the brink of being defeated, being counted out by everyone, and getting a submission W. That being said, she needs to work on her defense. Her defense is bad, bro. Her striking is not great. Her striking is not great. Her striking defense is not great. If you're going to work on anything, work on the striking defense, at least so that she can, you know, survive through it not take too much damage and take and get the takedown but she was getting pieced together bad in the very beginning but super proud of her for getting that w and proving everyone wrong now i'm gonna get into mvp story and there's so much controversy in this fight when there shouldn't be controversy i'm gonna be going over that later because that shit just fucking upsets me but here's my, I never, I never found MVP top tier. I'm going to be honest with you. 
I never found him top tier. He's not a bad fighter. He's a pretty good fighter, actually. He has great stand-up. He has great timing. He has accurate striking. But I never found him top tier for these reasons. One, he's fought cans most of his career. When I say cans, I'm talking about fighters who had no business being in the ring with him. Well, being in whatever shape Bellator's fucking thing is. It's hexagon. I don't know what the fuck shape that shit is. But he had no business being in a cage with him. Most of these fighters are not up to MVP's talent level. On top of that, the first time he fought someone who was up to his talent level, which was Douglas Lima the first time around, he got knocked the fuck out. So he got viciously knocked the fuck out, one of the craziest knockouts in MMA history. So you have that. Then he went on to fight more cans. And then he fought Douglas Lima again. But this Douglas Lima, I'm going to be honest with you, is a little washed. He is a little washed. He's not the same fighter he fought the first time. He was able to win that fight. When that fight was was still close. It was still a close fight. It wasn't a dominant fight. It was still fairly back and forth. Um, and his whole knock in his career was, one, he hasn't fought anyone true caliber, you know, um, truly good in that sense. And two, he never fought a wrestler. So this was going to prove to see if MVP is, lit, is really legit or not. One, he's fighting a wrestler, not even a wrestler, a pretty world-class wrestler, and someone who's up to his caliber. And it went, it happened, it, the, the result happened exactly how it thought it was going to happen. I thought MVP was going to get wrestle fucked for five rounds. Now, he didn't get wrestle fucked for five rounds. He got wrestle fucked for four rounds. For, for 20 minutes, MVP just got wrestle fucked. MVP had... He has such a weird style. He has a karate stance. His hands are down. He's bouncing in and out. He's constantly throwing feints. Um, you have to worry about that knee when you're coming in for a takedown. So Storley at times was getting very, very flustered in that position. But still, he was able to get the takedown. And once he got the takedown, bro, he was able to keep Michael Penn. He was able to keep MVP down for the most part. There's times where MVP would at least get one knee up. But he would get taken right back down again. Now, Storley didn't do much with the takedowns. I'm going to be honest with you. He was able to get them. He didn't do effective ground and pound. He didn't threaten submission. There was multiple times where the referee was telling him to work, to show me something, you know, or he's going to stand it back up, et cetera, et cetera. The fans are booing, of course, because MVP is English. And, um, you know, the, 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 the fans didn't want to see a boring fight. I get it. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, bro, you didn't defend the takedowns. You were taken down left and right. You were dominated a ground control time for most of the fight. You won one round, which is the fourth. And here's the issue. When he was winning that round, first off, he, he didn't really do much in the round. It's not like he got effective striking for the times that he got taken down. He would land a few shots. He didn't throw leg kicks. He didn't use leg kicks to manage the distance to you know weaken his opponent at all he was only throwing straight wide straight lefts etc etc he has a very bad tendency to blitz too so every time he blitzed and he would blitz always with the right hand or right elbow and he'll get taken down that way so he has a very bad tendency to do that then again it's his karate based point fighting background that that that's what they do in that field that's what his specialty is but he went that that one round that he won the fourth round. He you know barely landed some strikes there. Was he didn't do anything impressively. He was fucking around during that round too. He was bullshitting. He was fucking around. I'm like bro, you're down three rounds. You need a finish. You can't fuck around right now. 
you're clearly losing this fight. I don't know how you think you could be winning this fight. I don't know if your your coach just told you to win the fight. If they do, you need to fucking fire them because they're retarded. But you're clearly losing losing this fight. You need to stop fucking around. And he continued to fuck around, and that cost him the fight. That that didn't just cost him the fight, to be honest with you. But he ended up losing the fight. He should have been focused on getting a finish as much as possible. And what he did, he fucked around. But this fight just goes to show you that, dude, he's not as good as everyone thought he was going to be. And there were people defending him like, oh, you know, granted, yeah, the whole cans thing, but he did fight some noteworthy opponents here and there. He did beat Lima. Bro, he never fought a wrestler in the time where he fought a wrestler. He got exposed. If he would have fought Amosov, it would have been the exact same thing. Homeboy would have got exposed. And no, as far as what's next for him, he said he wanted to go into the UFC eventually. I think he should. I think it's a perfect time to do so. I think you you avenge you avenge your loss to Lima. That was for you and your mindset. That was most important to him than for to actually fight for the belt. He wanted to avenge that loss to Lima. So even though you're not going to win the belt in Bellator, cool. You avenge your loss to Lima. Go on to the UFC. Have some favorable matchmakings. I know the UFC can really do a lot of good with uh, marketing MVP. He has a whole bunch of highlight reels of him knocking out people in crazy ways. So you can just play that shit up. Um, the people who are you know who know Bellator are going to be excited to see him. The casual fans, after seeing his knockouts, are going to be excited to see him. You could throw him against people like you know Wonder Boy Thompson, two Karai style fighters. That would be very interesting to see. I would love to see that fight. You could have him fight someone like a Jeff Neal. Um, there's a bunch of different fights you can make in that 175, 170 pound division for MVP. Granted, once he fights a wrestler, he's going to fucking lose because we see what happens to him in that regard. But it, it, it can be very, very interesting as far as matchmaking if he goes to the UFC. On top of that, he could truly, he could truly capitalize on his personality and, um, I think, and, you know, gainer a good fan base, garner a good fan base in that promotion. So I think what's next for him, he should try to go to UFC. I know his, his contract was up. I don't know if he re-signed. I'm not sure in the specifics. I have to do research there. But I think that's something that he should do, to be entirely honest with you. And for Storley, honestly, I think this is a better match. I think this is a better outcome than MVP winning. Because MVP was going to win. Then you have to have him fight Amosov. And then you have to deal with the same shit over and over again. It would have been a repeat of this fight, basically. But since Storley won, we get to see Storley Amosov too. Which is an amazing fight. That fight was a very, very, very good fight. One of Bellator's best, to be honest with you. So, I much rather like that matchup more. And I think it does more. So, I, I think it, it, it turned out for the long run, to be honest with you. Now, I'm going to be going over MMA news and drama. So, the first one is Kane is denied bail. So, Kane Velasquez, as you know, I hate, I fucking hate talking about the situation because it's horrible. So, Kane Velasquez was a former UFC heavyweight champion. He's considered one of the greatest um, UFC heavyweight champion, if not the greatest UFC heavyweight champion. Or one of the greatest heavyweight champions in MMA there was or ever will be. So he, uh, he, his son apparently got molested by someone who was working at a daycare. 
and by another a grown man and apparently it happened like over a hundred times or something crazy like that his son's only four years old so as soon as Kane found out the news he immediately he tried to shoot the guy dead basically he chased the guy through traffic he shot at the guy's car there was a whole high-speed chase and that's what landed Cain Velasquez in jail now did, is the guy who molested his son a piece of shit? Absolutely. Absolutely. The guy who molested his son's a piece of shit. Kane tried to shoot the guy dead. Now, he didn't hit the guy. He hit the guy's stepfather, I believe, in the arm. And at first, he wasn't. He was denied bail the first time around. The second time around, um, he was also denied bail. The stepfather was basically saying, you know, Kane's a safety hazard. And the the reason why that you know Kane was chasing because he was trying to drive to the court to get the tracking chip for stepson or son or whatever for the case. I don't know specifics to be honest with you, but he was driving over there and Kane was following them and Kane shot at it. Great, look, here's the thing, right? Can is Kane a terrible person? Absolutely not. If anyone had that unfortunate circumstance happen to their kid, most people would do the exact same thing. I know the only reason why Cain did this is because that this happened to his child. He wouldn't have done this in any other circumstance. The dude never had any issues inside the octagon, outside the octagon. He was beloved by everyone, literally everyone, um, in MMA and in because he did pro wrestling, WWE, and MMA and in WWE alike. So I know this is a super rare occurrence, and this is something that it's literally once in a lifetime that it, it's just something that's super unfortunate and wouldn't make any parent want to rage out in that fashion. But Kane, he did shoot into like oncoming traffic. He did hit someone who is, I guess, an innocent bystander in the situation, and it, it could have ended a lot worse. I'm not really justifying Kane's actions. Does, does the guy who molested his son, you know, deserve to die? Absolutely. I'm going to be honest with you. Fuck that guy. That guy's fucking terrible. That guy's an utter piece of shit. Literally the worst of the worst, the low of the low of humanity. That guy's horrible. But Kane shooting into oncoming traffic, and granted, it, it did hit one person, but... It could have ended a lot, a lot worse. A lot of innocent bystanders, you know, could have died, could have perished, resulting of that. I wish that Kane didn't resort to gun violence to, you know, get his attacker. I wish that Kane's would have got his, his hands on him personally and, you know, beat him to an inch of his life. I think that would have honestly did better in court anyway. And you got to, you know, physically put your hands on the person. Which is someone, you know, of Kane's size and his background would have been a very bad problem for the guy who molested his son. But, uh, would have been a very bad problem for the guy who molested his son. But, uh, I can see why they don't want to de deny him bail. Granted, if the other guy is, you know, roaming free and is not behind bars, bro, put that man behind bars. The fuck was... Like, Kane's... And the, 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 the stepfather saying, you know, I have to protect my family, etc., etc. Kane's not after your family. Kane is after that guy. Kane's not after you. Kane is after that guy. So as long as that guy roams free, Kane will be after him, which is true. That's what the guy, that's what the stepfather, so the father, whatever relation the guy is to the molester said. 
Um, so that much is true, but I can see why with all the circumstance that Kane did that they would deny him bail. I, I'm, I'm saying it's justified. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. All I'm saying that it's justified. And another thing, his attorney basically said that Kane threw his life away. His attorney said, listen, even though it's an, it's a fortunate incident and, you know, it's a horrible thing that happened to his son, even if they can prove that it was actual fact, that it's factual and that the molester did molest his son that many times or in general, then it's going to be hard to not have him have such a large sentence because one, he was shooting into oncoming traffic. He was a dangerous society and he has literally so many counts that he's going to be facing. Like, you know, second degree murder is not just that. You have gun violence, you have, uh, you know, public safety, you have firing a weapon inside a moving vehicle. Yeah, there's so, and I read the counts. I don't have, you know, I don't remember all of them off the top of my head, but there's a lot. The dude's facing like eight to 10 counts. And if he's convicted on all of them, he's going to face 20 years. Threw his life away, bro. Threw it away. Granted, most people would do the exact same thing, probably me included. But it, it, it's just really an unfortunate incident. And as far as bail-wise, I'm just saying it's understandable. Not that it's right. Not that it's wrong. Just saying that it's understandable. Now, I want to go back to the MVP story fight. And the issue is the MMA community is saying that MVP got robbed. Now, one of the judges actually gave that fight to MVP. I don't know who that judge is. I forgot his name. That judge is fucking retarded. Straight up, you are. If you think MVP won the fight, stop watching the sport. Straight up, stop watching the sport. You probably got dropped in your head as a baby because you're fucking retarded. Literally, you are mentally retarded. You're an idiot. How can you think MVP won that fight? How? How? A lot of people say, oh, the striking, he landed more significant strikes than Logan Storley. Okay, he landed slightly more significant strikes than Logan Storley. There weren't damaging strikes. There weren't like Logan Storley was getting dropped. It wasn't a high volume of strikes. It was literally just a handful of strikes. It was a handful of strikes. Literally just a handful of strikes, a handful of punches. That's it. None of them really rocked Storley. None of them dropped them. Nothing. You can't base... MVP's very little offense compared as far as striking wise compared to Logan Storley who was able to take down his opponent and have nothing but ground control for minutes on end in the fight. It doesn't make sense. You can't give it to MVP. And a lot of people are saying, oh, Storley didn't do much with the takedown. True, he didn't do much with the takedown, but he had more control time. And granted, control time doesn't you know, significantly mean that that you're going to win the fight because there's times where someone has a lot of control time, but the other person had far more effective striking and they did nothing with the control time. They just sat in their opponent and they lost the fight. I've seen this before, but here's the thing. MVP didn't do any real effective striking. He didn't really land. He didn't land too much in general. Volume-wise, he didn't land too much. Damage-wise, he didn't do too much. So you can't give it to him. So the fact that one judge gave it to him, first of all, judge is fucking retarded. And if you think that MVP won the fight, you're also fucking retarded. It's not a robbery. It was a clear W for Storley. Clear W. Very, very, very clear W. Doesn't make any sense why anyone would think it's a robbery. 
And last but not least for MMA news, Tony Kelly, who I believe is a featherweight in the UFC. I think that's his weight division. No, he's in the UFC. I believe he's a featherweight. He is in Andrea KGB Lee's corner. And when KGB got... Said KGB when that's <laughs> a violent name. When uh, Andrea Lee got poked in the eye, he said that this her opponent is a t- dirty fucking Brazilian that they're going to cheat. And now he's cl- he's he's saying cancel culture, and you know they're just they're canceling him. And it's ca- it's just because American cancel culture, bro. You can't you can't blame cancel culture when you're out here saying racist shit. Fam, that's racist. That is racist. And of course, Tony Kelly is white. You white fuck. You white racist fuck. I, I, I want to Google where he lives. I guarantee you it's somewhere down south. Let me Google this real quick. I'm typing in now. I'm on Google. Tony Kelly UFC. Guarantee you he's southern. Now, I guess I'm being a little racist myself. But well, let's, see where, let's see where he's from. Shreveport, Louisiana, you southern, you fucking inbred, you inbred white fuck, bro, I'm just, he deserves to be shitted on, oh, he was born January 21st, a day away from me, fuck, I gotta share to say birthday month, same birthday week as this asshole, but dude, that's fucking racist, you can't, you can't sit there and, and call your opponent, her opponent, a dirty Brazilian, and that they all cheat because of the accidental eye folk. Now, have Brazilian fighters cheated in the past? Yes. Mostly due to steroid use. Mostly due to, you know, them putting the, the extra stuff in the acai bowls and getting juiced up. Here's the thing. Everyone else is doing it during this time. This is pre-USADA era and I guarantee you post-USADA era. But everyone was doing it before that time. Every single person was doing it. It wasn't just Brazilians. It was everyone. It was everyone. So if you were to say that she's a dirty fucking cheat and she's going to cheat, that's different than you're, you're categorizing her. But you literally just said a whole country of people are dirty and they're cheaters. Like, that's racist. That's full-blown racist. And he doesn't address that in his, his little tweet, too. I wish I could pull up the tweet. I can't right now. It's going to take forever. Um, But, I, like... There's nothing cancel culture about that, bro. You literally just said racist shit. That's all it is. You're racist. If you're racist, just say you're racist. That's it. You call the whole country... You call her people dirty for no reason. When she's the one, if so, she cheated. Which is the accidental eye poke. Eye pokes happen all the time. But, bro, you can't... like. Everyone was saying, you know... What does Brazilians have to do with it? He never addressed it. It's just fucking racist, bro. Here's what I would do. If I was the UFC, I'll, I'll do two options. I'll either cut him or I'll have him fight a very bad stylistic matchup and have that person be Brazilian. <laughs> but dude, like, what the, what the, you can't... If, if you were to say racist shit and you owned it, all right, then you're just a, you're just a prick. You're just a racist prick. But if you want to say racist shit, blame a cancel culture, fam, you just said racist shit. And you're from Louisiana, so I'm not surprised. You're you're a fucking inbred. Your parents are probably cousins. But I want to get into the Petri predictions portion. And I'm going to be going over the fight card next week. Holly Holm against Vieira. Um, I'm just going to be going over two fights. The first one being Holly Holm against Vieira. Bro. 
Holly Holm has been fighting for a long time. But here's the thing. Holly Holm, as far as MMA-wise, she did she did do professional boxing before. MMA-wise, she's only lost to champions. Look at how she has five losses. Look at those losses. All champions. Former champions or current champions. She has lost to no one else. She has lost to no one else. Literally no one else. And all the other fights she had against people who are not champions, they, they'd have been single-handed victories for the most part. So... Just off that alone, I have confidence that Holly Holm is going to win this fight. When you look at Vieira's record and Vieira's you know, uh, career so far, is very up and down. I think she even lost her last one, I believe. I have to double-check that. But her record is very win-win-lose-one, win-win-lose-one. But for Holly Holm, man, she just beat the best of the best in that division, man. What she did to Aldana, and Aldana's a fucking amazing fire, and it's coming up in that division. So I think Holly Holm is going to be too much for her striking-wise. I think boxing-wise, Holly Holm is going to light her up. Then we have Ponzinibbio against Pereira. Now, if this was Ponzinibbio pre-injury, I would say Ponzinibbio. But since coming back from the injury, bro, Ponzinibbio's career is another one who's also been very up and down. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. When Piero, his career was up and down for a time, and it was mostly because he would fuck around. He was just a dude who just liked to have fun in the octagon, who would do flips, who would do a lot of dumb shit. He would just do a lot of stupid shit that would just drain his gas tank because he's very big for that division. And he would lose because of doing stupid shit. Now, as of his recent couple of fights, like his last three, four fights, he's fought some good competition. He hasn't been doing the stupid, dumb shit that he was doing beforehand. We've seen that when he's focused and when he's dialed in and when he's he's not just wasting his gas tank doing useless stuff to be a spectacle and the showman, he's pretty good. He is pretty good. He's pretty formidable. That being said, him coming off the win streak with the fires that he's beaten in a row and him being focused, as long as he's focused and not being a showman and doing stupid shit, I have him win the fight. I think Ponzinibbio's career is very up and down right now. I know right, literally right before he retired, he was like, I think he was on like a nine fight win streak or some shit like that. But ever since then, it just hasn't been the same. So I'm giving it to Pereira. And that goes episode three of our six MMA talk. Again, this will be dropping every Tuesday at 7 a.m. going forward. But guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see y'all next week. Bye.